This is a Broad Pods production. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Broad Radio. For you, by you. Broad Radio. Here for more. It's Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley. My co-host today is Kirsty Wiebeck. Hello, Kirsty. Hello, Jo. How are you going? Yeah, really well. We have a show jam-packed with extraordinary women today. Not just you and me, Kirsty. Clearly extraordinary. But we are going to be joined by <laughs> Professor Sharon Lewin, who is the director of the Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity. So she's had quite the 12 months. We also are joined by Nellie Thomas, comedian and author of a book called some mums are fat moles. Can't wait to talk to her about that. And we have Carly Findlay, who is an author and appearance activist joining us. And in just a moment, we're going to be catching up on everything that happened at the March for Justice yesterday. I need to, before we begin, ask you if you are watching on YouTube, it would be awesome if you chucked us a like and subscribe please do this. It would really help us out. Also, if you're watching on Facebook, chuck us a like. That would be really helpful. You can always go to broadradio.com.au and subscribe to our email list as well. These, there are many ways for you to connect with us. And uh, you, we would love for you to share a comment if you're watching right now. Let us know what you're thinking and feeling and what's going on in your world. And the exciting news is too, Kirsty, we now have a podcast for Broad Radio, you can listen to this one-hour show and previous shows are there as well. Each week, we're going to be releasing this show on podcast. It's called Broad Radio on the Go um, because, of course, you can take it anywhere you like. And it's available at Acast and Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. So check out Broad Radio on the Go. One last piece of uh, business before we get into the show proper. Every week we run a poll, a more to say poll, we call it, because we want to hear and what's going on in your world and we know that you have more to say. And we ask one question. And in the last week we asked the question, sometimes life is hard and we need a little pick-me-up, what's your go-to? Only 9% of people said cake. I was disappointed. I thought it would be more. <laughs> I mean. Unbelievable. I know. 
But we've got 24% friends, 26% music, 25% nature. Pretty obvious key things that pick you up. Kirsty, my question to you then is what, what's your go-to on a pick-me-up, for a pick-me-up when you're having a hard day? Okay, I'm, I'm going to stretch out the nature one a little bit more and say that I go looking for animals. So I live down by the bay and I usually go for a little walk and I, and I try and find animals. And I actually fancy myself as the primary animal spotter of the neighbourhood. And so uh, yesterday, for example, found a penguin in the bay. Get out of town. Just went for a walk with my mate, found a little penguin, just swimming around, minding its own business. Um, I've been known to spot a lot of stingrays, yeah. uh, turtles at Elstonwick Park. What? Uh, so that's my go-to if I'm having a rough one. Just go for a walk and spot some animals. Do you? I can't believe you saw a penguin in a suburban bay. <laughs> Actually, here's a hot tip for you. I usually see, if I see them during the daytime, it's usually up at Brighton, like around the Brighton Baths. There are usually penguins swimming around fishing during the day. It's the best. But this was down by the St Kilda Pier yesterday and it was just a, a, a lone penguin doing some fishing. Is and he... if that doesn't pick you up, nothing's going to pick you up. Did he look lost? <laughs> Did he look like he was looking for one of those where are you, he, you are here signs? Yeah, I followed him for a bit because I was like, oh, I hope he's okay. But then, then I was with a mate and we, we soon discovered that he'd just found all these little tiny schools of fish and he was just zooming around eating them all and he was happy as can oh. be. So... I think he was just really clever and found a really good spot to go looking for fish. Oh, that is the cutest thing in the world. My pick-me-up is also animal-related. Well, I have two, okay? So one is, and I'm going to introduce you to a term that I read. It's called dopamine dopamine dressing. Have you heard of this? Oh, dopamine dressing. No. It's, it's, and I'm reaching down to a prop. It's when you wear something that gives you a little dopamine hit. So I wear this cardigan <laughs> pretty much 24-7, right? Oh, dopamine dressing. Like it's so snuggly. It's the best. That looks awesome. Yeah. Dopamine dressing is one thing. And the other thing that I do is uh, my cat. And I I didn't want to bring this up necessarily because I know that your cat is perhaps, um, what can I say, a little standoffish, Kirsty. Um, (laughs) That's a very polite way to put it. Yeah. So whereas my cat, Maggie, she's extremely affectionate. So my pick-me-up is to smoosh my face right into her tummy. And given I'm into dopamine dressing, I've just got to find a way so that I can wear her like a coat because <laughs> that would be combining <laughs> the two for me. It would make me very happy. There's my pick-me-up. Hey, we do run a poll every week and at the moment we are giving away a gorgeous bottle of Blanc de Noir sparkling worth $55 from the amazing people at Moores Hill Estate. Uh, beautiful champagne and uh, I mean you're going to love that particular champagne because it is how's this they are entirely powered by the sun they're 100% off grid in Tasmania what a gorgeous thing so head along to broadradio.com.au have your say on our more to say poll and you could win a bottle of that gorgeous champagne now yesterday Kirsty, around the country thousands of women and men took to the streets to say enough is enough in the March for Justice. Essentially, we were marching in response to Canberra's toxic culture, but really a lot of us were there more broadly in and around the fact that we are just so sick of sexual assault, rape, 
sexual harassment, uh, gender inequality, and the fact that nothing ever seems to change. And here on Broad Radio, Kirsty, we often get um, thought leaders and academics and people from governance and people from uh, advocacy agencies and really amazing people who are working hard in the gender equality space, and we will continue to do that. But I felt like yesterday was very much about the everyday person. Don't you reckon, Kirsty? There were people from all walks of life hitting the streets for this particular cause. Absolutely. It was amazing and just a very real depiction of exactly how fed up people are now. So Mm. I think the march yesterday was the beginning and quite possibly the tip of the iceberg and people are just mad and looking for ways to try and affect real change now. So it was very impressive to see how many people got behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So we are, we decided um, as a way of reflecting exactly what took place yesterday, we decided to invite onto the show one of Broad Radio's oh, most devoted and has been there right from the beginning, listeners and viewers, Lisa Needham. Hello. Hi, Joe. Hi, Kirsty. So lovely to be here with Hi, you guys. Lisa. Oh, it's so lovely to have you on Broad Radio and thank you so much for uh, being with us right from the beginning. It means a huge amount to us what you're doing is amazing well couldn't be doing it without you and particularly in this particular instant because yesterday you mm-hmm. were at the march for justice in melbourne and uh, you managed to pull together a bit of footage for us so here's a little snippet of what went on i am woman hear me roll in numbers too big to ignore and i know Hopeful. It's nice seeing men here, but it's also, I don't know how many marches I've been to and nothing's changed. Now! What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Now! It's done. I closed my microphone. We've all had it. We've all been touched. We've spoken to them. We've looked at them. We've been asked what they want. You know, now I'm in my 40s. I'm more mature. I've got my confidence. And... Enough is enough. Like, I, I never want anyone to have to, you know, witness, not even go through, but just witness what I witnessed um, in the workforce in my 20s. I am strong, strong, I am invincible, invincible, I am vulnerable. was very much the energy of the day. I was so pleased to be there. I didn't see you in the crowd, Lisa, but what was your sense of the day? What did it feel like there? It was just incredible. I think um, it drew people from all walks of life, like you said. And I think the reason that is, is because the problem is everywhere. It's in the home. It's on the streets. It's in the workplace. It's in the schools. And I think, you know, there was women that were there marching for their grandchildren there were women who had experienced um violence or sexual violence and they've just as they said they've had enough um there was a huge sense of solidarity i think that was one of the key things that came across to me that this is a movement that all women need to be a part of we can't leave anyone out of this because it affects all of us regardless of color class um just yeah age everything you know every woman needs to be on board with this because it does in effect affect all of us and it was just incredible to to feel that um and be a part of that um there were moments that were really solemn 
There was a minute silence for the 898 women and children that have been um, killed by men, by male violence, I believe from 2008 onwards. And so there were really solemn moments. But ultimately, that sense of coming together, standing together and saying enough is enough was what I took away from it, certainly. And did you feel like there was hope in the air? That was a real mixture, actually. There was definitely people there that felt a lot of hope. But there were also women that have been marching, you know, in their 70s now, and they've been marching for the last sort of 50 years and saying, why are we still doing this? You know, why are we still having to say the same thing over and over again? Um, So I don't feel like anyone thinks that this has done the job. And indeed, what you were saying earlier, I think there's a lot more to come. I think this is just the beginning. I think there's a lot more that needs to be said. And I think there's a lot more that's going to be said Um, because I think people feel like certainly at the moment, the people at the very top, the government, um, I don't think they feel like they're being listened to yet, that they're not listening yet. Mm. Uh, And we had a lot of people tell us why they were there marching. Why were you there marching, Lisa? I was there marching because like every other woman, I've experienced inappropriate behavior, harassing behavior, Um, I have a friend that was killed by her ex-partner back in England. Um, You only have to look at the news and see that this is going on every single day. And still, just it doesn't get the publicity, the media that it needs. Um, Yeah, if 898 women, this this is an absolute scandal. But still... Mm. um, it's not been talked about enough and not enough is changing. Lisa, was there any mention at the march of the next steps? Um, at the march itself, I didn't really get a sense of, of what's next, but I've been looking on social media this morning, the March for Justice, and, and already people are saying we need to march again. The people at the top aren't listening. We need to close streets down. You know, most of yesterday was in Treasury Gardens. Um, there was a splinter group that march down the tram lines all the way to the Liberals' office, um, which I think definitely disrupted things more. But I think there is that sense that more disruption is needed um, Mm. to really get people listening, to really make people pay attention. And I don't think that's really been helped by the the government's response to it. Um, I believe they, um, Scott Morrison was saying, how great it is that we can march without the fear of bullets, which, Mm. yeah, again, reading the room wrong, I think um, we could safely say. Yes, absolutely. But I agree with you, Lisa. I would like for there to be a National Day of Action, perhaps later in the year, on a weekend when... And I understand why we had the event on Monday, yesterday, so that in Canberra they could march to uh, Parliament House when government was sitting. That makes sense. Uh, But I hope Mm -hmm. that there's an event later in the year on a weekend where everyone that I know wanted to march yesterday but weren't able to because they were at work or had other commitments. Um, Because I I am sure that all of us here, Kirsty and you, Lisa, we've had conversations with friends over the last few weeks where we've all gone, hang on a minute, there are things that have happened to me over my life that I completely absorbed and dismissed and just went, oh, that was a bit gross, but kind of moved on. But they weren't okay. And I didn't realise that I kind of absorbed that. Yes, absolutely. And even I was out of the fruit and veg shop yesterday and I got chatting to a young girl who was telling me about an experience in her school. And you think, my goodness, 
you know, this is this is happening everywhere. Mm. Um, and you know, I can find out about it by going to buy my, my cucumbers and apples. <laughs> Yeah, that's oh, just really scary. So the point is that we are coming together and uh, I really hope that we all feel the hope and we know that, yes, we've been having this conversation and going on these marches for decades, but let's not stop now. Absolutely. I really do think this is the beginning and, yes, there is there is more to come. There is more to say. Um, there is more to be done. Um, but... I think it's really important that all women are part of this movement and that no one gets left out of this conversation. No one gets forgotten, um, you know, what women have done before us um, all over the world. Um, and yes, let's move together as one. But also men. This is, this is a fight that men yes. and women need to uh, engage in together side by side. And there were men there, were men there um, which was good to see. Maybe not enough. Yeah. Well, like I say, let's do it on a weekend at the end of the year. I wish I could organise it, but I'm very busy. But I know there are amazing people that brought it together yesterday. And uh, I really hope that we uh, continue this uh, action throughout the year. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, guys. You have a great Lovely day. Lovely speaking Thanks, with you both. Lisa. We'll have more Broad Radio after this. Well, here on Broad Radio, one of our key goals is to amplify voices that aren't heard enough. And that, of course, includes people with disabilities because disabled people are a starkly underrepresented part of our community in the media and pretty much everywhere else as well. So we're very happy to welcome our next guest. Carly Findlay is a writer and appearance activist and she's written or edited, I should say, a brand new book called Growing Up Disabled in Australia. Hey there, Carly. Hello, how are you? Congratulations on this book. I really loved reading it. It's got so Thank many diverse you. writers, very different styles, very different experiences. Mm. And I understand that it is the first of its kind in Australia, this book, which yeah. that then makes me think, okay, it's really critical that we hear stories and read stories that represent our mm. own experiences. And that then means mm. that you and other people with disabilities have not read stories that really reflect your lives. Mm. What is that like? Yeah, I, I mean, when I grew up, I didn't see anybody that uh, looks like me. I have a rare skin, skin condition, a rare severe skin condition called ichthyosis. And uh, the, the representation of disability when I grew up was either Paralympians or people on a current affair supposedly rotting the system. Uh, so my, you know, my view of disability was quite narrow. And so it's, yeah, it's really important to read these stories. Um, it is the first of its kind in Australia, yes. But there has been so much writing and, you know, art done, made um, by disabled people before this book. Um, I mentioned in the foreword that Stella Young edited Ramp Up on the ABC. Stella was a comedian, writer, activist who just changed, I think, the way the Australian lands media landscape um, saw disability, um, and that was defunded in 2014. Carly, you had over 360 submissions for mm -hmm. Growing Up Disabled in Australia. And yeah. uh, you mentioned in the forward that you chose a diverse range of voices and, and stories mm. and experiences, but what was 
what was that process really like for you to choose those submissions? Uh, it was pretty. It was pretty hard. There was a lot of reading to do. So uh, we put out a call um, in December 2018, and there was around a six-month period for submissions. And so we got 366, I think. And where there were gaps uh, in stories, in diversity, I approached people or um, saw things that were published before and wanted to republish. So we didn't have a um, Paralympian and so I contacted Paralympics Australia and I also knew someone who whose daughter was a Paralympian so that was Isis Holt um, and I sent her questions to be interviewed um, and she was great she got them back in two hours or something which mm-hmm. was amazing um, and I also interviewed people who oh, I interviewed Jane Rosengrave who wasn't able to write her own story Jane is a survivor of um, childhood sexual abuse and she lived in institutions all through her life, all through her early life. And so we sat down and talked. Um, So my approach was really intersectional because we only really see in the media, I feel, uh, white disabled people. Um, And I wanted to ensure that the balance was... um, you know, swayed to more diverse. So we've got Aboriginal people, we've got people of colour, we've got Muslim people, Jewish people, young people who are still growing up like Isis and Lucy Carpenter and people who are elders as well like Yvonne Fine, um, Kath Duncan, Gail Kennedy, who's an amazing Aboriginal woman that wrote about um, being in hospital with polio as a child. And also we've got um, people from all, I think, all states of Australia, maybe not Tasmania. Sorry, Tasmania, that wasn't intentional. (laughs) Poor old Tasmania. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Carly, a lot of the stories reference uh, the the writers themselves as young people. Mm. Um, Mm. And you yourself in your foreword, you say that this is the book you wish you had when you Mm. were younger. Um, Yeah. Have you been contacted by young people who are grateful that the book is there or that they've been impacted yeah. by what, what you're creating? Have you had young people reach yeah. out to you? Yeah, we, well, because I'm in Melbourne um, and we just had a lockdown <laughs> for five days, <laughs> yes. um, My one of the events was cancelled that we were due to have. We were due to have a little book launch with just the contributors and their family but the day before that we were really lucky to go to Geelong and do our first and uh, our first event our first live event um and there was a young person or there were a few young people in the audience but there was a young person who stood up and said you know it's because of this book I know that my life after high school will be okay um so that was pretty great and then she left a really lovely review um, on Goodreads and I've had people like tweet and say thank you so much for this you know I, I feel seen um, yeah I mean I, we, we've had some amazing amazing reviews and amazing um, responses to the book it's you know it's only been out for four weeks and it's gone to reprint which is incredible the demand for it is huge um, there is a lot of swearing in it though but it, it will be in school it will be in school so maybe because there's a lot of swearing in it people might want to read it um you know in a school library sneakily (laughs) (laughs) i think school children probably know more swear words than we know (laughs) but carly the other thing i'm familiar with because i follow you on twitter is that you have done a thing that i have wanted to do but haven't because um 
because I just am scared to, uh, you <laughs> bought roller skates, right? Now, every yeah. time I am in yeah. a shop, a skate shop or whatever with my daughter and those yeah. roller skates yeah. are so pretty, like they're mm-hmm. rainbow coloured or they're, you know, yeah. unicorns or they're so, yeah. and I imagine myself like in a roller derby team <laughs> with the cool costume and all that, but I can't roller yeah. skate to save myself. Yeah. And what you have done is that you actually bought the roller skates and are learning to roller yeah. skate without fear of judgment which i just um, love <laughs> there's a lot of fear of falling there's no fear of judgment there's a lot of fear of falling um so in lockdown last year i kept on seeing these instagram videos pop up i, I was influenced by instagram influencers i kept on seeing these instagram videos of roller skating i'm like oh i, I used to roller skate when i was in year seven so that was very you know 20 maybe 27, 28 years ago. I thought, yeah, I could do that again. Um, and so do you remember I put out a tweet one night, one Friday night, I'm like, oh, I think I might just buy some roller skates. And then I was like looking on Facebook Marketplace. Also during lockdown, like my sleeping habits just went out the window. And so I was like shopping at all not, all hours of the night because I just couldn't sleep. And I bought multiples of different things like books. I've got like multiples of different books because I didn't know I ordered them the night before when I couldn't sleep. <laughs> Anyway, so I bought these roller skates. I found them on Facebook Marketplace. I thought, I don't want to spend a lot because I might hate it, you know. Mm. So I bought them for $60. They were nearly new. They were great. They came from Tasmania. And then I've been, I've had them for um, five months since October. What, September, October? Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I've been skating nearly every weekend since. And it's really hard. It's not like it was when I was 12. Um and, you know, you, I'm, I'm bigger now and I'm taller and I weigh more and I'm really scared of falling. Uh, but it's fun. I haven't really fallen much. I mean, you know, at first I did, but I'm not scared much anymore. We go skating with um, and be meeting heaps of friends like, or, and noticing that my friends got into it as well. Um, yeah. I am <laughs> yeah. nearly 50, so, um, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. know if that's too old to take up a new skill. But... Uh, no, not at yeah. all. Well, no. yeah, my, my friends are like in their in their 40s and 50s, so do it. Carly, the book is Growing Up Disabled in Australia and, of mm-hmm. course, your book, yeah. Say Hello, is still available as well. And we really mm. encourage people to pick up both of those books and explore this experience of Australians that you may not have really understood or really made the effort to really kind of connect with thanks so much Carly Finlay you take care and and go out and buy the book yeah do please um it's great make it go to the third reprint it's gone to the second reprint now so yeah yeah make it go to the third thank you so much it was lovely to talk to you Ray you too take care Carly pleasure as always thank you bye hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. 
If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Broad Radio. Talking inspo we love, info we need, and sharing more of us. Watch and listen live every Tuesday, 9am, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time at broadradio.com.au or find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and LinkedIn at Broad Radio Oz. Talk to us live. Call on 1300 8 Broad. Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, <laughs> we've got you covered. Broad Radio. Here for more. Well, when it comes to women leaders doing extraordinary things, I think our next guest is an absolute superstar. She probably became a little more well known last year due to a little thing called COVID 19. She is the director of the Doherty Institute for Infection and Immunity, Professor Sharon Lewin. It is an absolute joy to have you join us on Broad Radio. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be here. Sharon, it's just over a year since the World Health Organization announced that we were in the middle of a pandemic and the world is a very different place. We've all learned to go to school differently and and learn differently and work differently and connect socially differently. What, from your perspective, because you've been in the thick of it with the work that you do around all the different things that the Doherty Institute does, um, what have you seen is the biggest shift in us as a society? God, where do I begin? Um, well, of course, we're stuck in Australia and we can no longer um, travel. That's very, very significant or leave our borders or, or um, visit loved ones away or come back home. So, you know, the implications of that are enormous, especially for people that live in Australia whose families are abroad. Um, it's changed, of course, the way we gather together, although Australia, you know, is, has got a pretty normal life now. I mean, our day-to-day lives are pretty normal. There are still restrictions on numbers that can gather, but and now people really understand what that means to you know stay at home when you're when you're unwell, get tested. I think that will have implications for other infections. It's changed the way we work. It's changed the way we access and use online platforms, whether it's in banking or shopping or working. You know, the world's a different place, in clearly different place. Sharon, the Doherty Institute was the first in the world to grow the virus. What was what was that moment like? Was there a big celebration? Um, well, yes, you're right. We were the first to grow the virus outside of China, I should add, and share it. So that was on January the 29th last year. And I hate to tell you, but I was actually in Chile <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so I wasn't in the building. Um, I was in regular contact with Mike Catton, who was leading that effort. So I knew what was happening, but I was in Santiago, a million miles away from everywhere. Um, I think uh, we certainly knew that was a really big deal in January. I'm not sure the rest of Australia or the world were as focused on this as we were throughout January. And it was a big deal because it meant that people could suddenly work on tests, drugs and vaccines because you need the virus to do that. Um, It hadn't been shared until that moment. Um, And where, yeah, I mean, I was thrilled for the group that um, did it, Mike Catton and Julian Druce. I was thrilled 
for the message that it sends that Australia can make a really big contribution and that all this investment that we have had and need to continue in our scientists and virologists and this sort of deep expertise, you know, pays off. You can't sort of pull that out of a hat once a new pandemic hits. So um, it was exciting, but I wasn't actually here. I was on the phone at the other end, on the other side of the country, of the world. So at the moment, there's a lot of talk around the vaccination and the rollout. And um, well, my first question is, is vaccination the magic key to us getting back to what is as close to a normal life as possible? Absolutely. How we're living currently in Australia is wonderful. I really do believe it. I think, you know, we are in an extraordinary situation, but it cannot be like this forever. A, we're cut off from the rest of the world. B, we are in a precarious position. You know, a, a, a vaccine, a, a virus can be brought in at any time, as we've seen on multiple occasions now. Quarantine, we do a good job of quarantine. There's been hundreds of thousands of people in quarantine and we've had a handful of um, transmission events, but they happen. And so they can happen at any time and especially in the winter time, we're at greater risk of it spreading through our population. So vaccination is absolutely key to getting back to normal, but vaccination won't be the magic bullet that suddenly means everything is back to normal. Life will still be different even once we're vaccinated. In what way? Well, in the initial phases, we still will need to be aware, especially in Australia, that um, vaccines reduce the chance of severe disease, but they don't eliminate the chance of infection. And by that, I mean, you know, virus in the nose that you may not be aware you have, and therefore there still is a possibility of transmission. We're learning more and more about these vaccines. They definitely reduce both disease and infection and almost certainly will reduce transmission. But in Australia, we've currently got a policy of no COVID. So we're not tolerant of anyone with COVID symptomatic or not. And so that means in the early days, we will still need to quarantine on return from travel, for example. I think over time though, as we get more and more people vaccinated, as we have a better understanding of the effects of vaccine on transmission, our policies will have to change. We will need to have a policy of no, you know, severe COVID, um, not no COVID totally. And where's our vaccination rollout at in Australia at the moment, Sharon? Early days, we're just in our third week. Um, as of yesterday, it was 160,000 Australians had been vaccinated, so tiny numbers. Um, and the, when we look around the world, even if you look at the vaccine programs that have done well, and that now includes the UK and the US, Vaccine rollout does start slowly. It's a mix of supply, so access to the vaccine, as well as setting up the system. So we actually are going slower than we hoped, but I'm pretty confident it will speed up as we put all the systems in place, as we get more vaccine online, particularly from CSL manufacturing the AstraZeneca vaccine. The, at the moment, we're still in phase 1A, meaning that we're just vaccinating um, frontline healthcare workers, aged care residents and workers, disability residents and workers, and the border control, quarantine hotels and airport staff. And in, a, in Victoria, at least, um, about 80% of our 
frontline um, quarantine and border control have been vaccinated. Do you find it frustrating that so much is sort of spoken about and speculated in the media and social media? And, you know, now we're reading that AstraZeneca has been uh, put on hold in Germany, Italy, France. And, you know, there's so much conversation around it. But you are at the coalface of this and you know sort of the facts of it. Do you find it frustrating that sometimes there may be misinformation out there in the community because people then become very discontent around it all? Yeah, you know, on the one hand, I really like that there's such high interest and high awareness and I think high literacy now around issues like um, a pandemic and a vaccine. So I think knowledge is good. I think the more knowledge people have is is really, really good. Misinformation, of course, is bad because we don't want it, people to know the wrong things. Vaccine hesitancy is understandable. People, this is all new. People want as much information as they can. And I see that it's our responsibility or people like me to be able to convey that information as clearly and simply as we can. And real-time access to information is important, although it's complex. So just very, if you just, if I'll just quick, briefly touch on the AstraZeneca issue. You know, we have constant surveillance of potential associations of new unexpected adverse events with vaccines. But bad things happen all the time, meaning that people get blood clots, people get, um, you know, can die from other unrelated issues. And the complexity here is sorting out from what's the background rates of, in this situation, blood clots, and is there an association with the vaccine? And also different regulatory agencies have different thresholds of risk. So the fact that some agencies are putting a pause on, on AstraZeneca and others tells me that um, the evidence is certainly not clear. And we are definitely hearing that the background, that the incidence of these blood clots is no higher than the background rates. These, these things take time to sort through. It doesn't mean that you close down the vaccine program every time a possible association is described. And it's routine. This happens all the time with vaccines, just that people aren't paying as much attention to it as they are here. And I personally have great faith in our systems in Australia. We have got an agency that is looking at all these same data that is being poured over across Europe and our agency will make a decision on whether this is a real risk or not. And so far, they're not saying that this is a risk, meaning that we should pause the program. So I'm very confident in the process we have in place to look at these sorts of new information. Sharon, it was interesting how the COVID outbreak brought back memories for some uh, of the first few years of the HIV crisis in the 80s. And I've actually got a few, there's a few questions in this. Uh, where are we at, firstly, with HIV and AIDS now? And like, what treatments are available and is it still a, a killer disease? And finally, we, we were really amazed to read that AIDS-related illnesses are the leading cause of death among 15 to 49-year-old females globally. Uh, we had no idea about that. So why are women and girls so disproportionately affected? Yeah, quite a few questions in there. Uh, first of all, absolutely, those first few weeks or months of a new virus, limited information, some hysteria, some misinformation, uh, was very reminiscent of the early days of HIV. I was a medical student, actually, in the early days of HIV, so I wasn't directly working, but it was very reminiscent, and not just HIV. Any time a new infectious disease appears, such as Zika or Ebola or these other ones that we've seen, you have this element of hysteria 
while we're gathering the information. So, and I think for a lot of people living with HIV or who had lived through that era in the early 80s, certainly some friends and colleagues of mine, it did bring back some really bad memories of that time. Big difference was that in the early 80s, most people didn't care about HIV and that was the tragedy of that period. While in COVID, you couldn't get a more um, concerned global community. Every single government is so concerned about this. And a lot of people living with HIV are appropriately angry about that because in the early days, people weren't that interested in HIV. So where are we, are we now with HIV globally? Um, there are 37 million people living with HIV. Um, there's 1.7 million new infections a year and 750,000 deaths. So people are still dying of HIV and there is still a large number of new infections. But having said that, the um, outlook for people living with HIV is totally different now compared to the early 80s. We have outstanding antiviral treatment that's available to over 60% of the world. We want it to be high, we'd like it to be 90, 95%, but 60% of the world's population can access antiviral therapy. Antiviral therapy is cheap in low-income countries. It's simple, it's often just a single tablet a day. And just recently, just this year actually, um, the Australian government approved the use of injectable antivirals. So you can take a tablet a day or now, and in the future you could get an injection every two months and it keeps your HIV under control and people have a normal life expectancy. So unbelievable advances. Um, of course, we have 40% of people who are not accessing HIV. We have still people that die of HIV and treatment is lifelong, which has problems, meaning that you've got to support economically access to treatment. It has side effects and there's certainly still a stigma associated with HIV and we don't have a vaccine. We've got new and very powerful ways to prevent HIV, taking an antiviral tablet um, once a day or around the episode of a sexual contact can reduce your chance of getting HIV by about 99%, but we don't have a vaccine. So HIV has not gone away. Um, it's a major problem in many communities and it's a major problem in many parts of the world and a lot more to do, particularly find a vaccine, find a cure and make sure that everyone can access treatment. And finally, you asked about young women and AIDS. That's an incredible statistic and it largely comes from sub-Saharan Africa uh, where um, in some parts of sub-Saharan Africa, over 50% of young women are infected. I've done a lot of work in Durban um, in South Africa and Durban is an epicentre of HIV and about 50% of the women in that age group that you described are infected. And if you're a young woman and you don't have access to education and you don't have access to a community talking about HIV, you may be scared to get tested, you might never get tested, you might be scared to take antiviral drugs, you might not even have the funding to take antiviral drugs. So a lot of this is related to women's disadvantage globally. And finally, just one statistic is globally there are more women infected with HIV than men. Mm. It's really alarming and something that you may wish to engage with. I'm sure that there are organisations, if you wish to do more or even assist in some way, maybe through donations or something, there are organisations out there, Sharon, that we can connect with? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, just even within Australia, um, we have the National Association of People Living with HIV 
as well as the Australian Federation of AIDS organisations. And they represent um, women and men um, living with HIV or at risk of HIV. Um, and then globally, there are many, many organisations. But one of the lead agencies that really advocates for better treatment um, and better care for women and um, access to education is UNAIDS, is a division of the United Nations. So that's a very good place to get more information. Sharon, I can't let you go without asking you about being a woman in science because we know that women and girls are underrepresented in STEM generally and particularly in science. Um, although there was a study that was released today that said that it's not because we're lacking confidence. In fact, uh, this study showed that women and girls enter their, their careers in STEM with great confidence but somehow end up not rising into the positions of leadership that you have. So to me, you're a great inspiration. Your career is really extraordinary. I wonder if you might give us a little piece of advice or you know, share something around a challenge you may have overcome that might help a woman who's watching this today and feeling a little stuck in her industry or her career. Yeah, sure. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, the numbers of graduates from many scientific disciplines, not all, but certainly in the biological sciences and in medicine is about 50-50, sometimes more women. Um, different still in the in the physical sciences such as engineering or mathematics. But as you go through the career phase, you see this big drop off at, a, at what we call the mid-career phase, usually, usually at the time of women starting families, maybe mid-late 30s. And then you see this big drop off. I'm not saying that families are the only reason why women don't rise. I do think there are, is some inherent bias. Many women have stories of discrimination and lack of support. And then you see this very, this plummeting rate and it hasn't changed over, over decades. You know, 20% of people in leadership positions in science are women as opposed to 50% who graduate. Um, so what was the, I think for me the most challenging time was certainly when I had young children and I was in my then early 30s. I've got two boys who are now 24 and 27 and um, I got through that period because I had a supportive husband, of course, um, family. I had my mother and my sister nearby. I had friends that were in similar positions and I used every support network I could. I had no qualms about outsourcing whatever I could as well, housework or anything. Um, and I sort of stuck in in that very difficult times, at times feeling a bit guilty, you know, maybe I should be at home more. I've sort of given up on guilt. Don't feel guilty. Um, be. I, I think the best advice I could give to young women is just be yourself. Um, have faith in yourself. Look around for support. Look to your, your friends, your peers, um, find mentors. All of that helps. Everyone faces the same struggle. And um, and I think most important, I think, be, um, try and be yourself. There's a lot of expectations for women to be someone else, you know, act in a certain way, um, look a certain way. Um, I just think, we should, you know, be yourself. I love it. Be yourself and don't feel guilty. Great advice. I'm, I'm, I'm taking that away. <laughs> don't, I'm not feeling guilty about anything. <laughs> Professor Sharon says don't feel guilty. Thanks so much, Professor Beautiful. Sharon Lewin. It's so awesome to speak with you, Sharon. We're really, really blessed to have you. Pleasure. Thanks a lot. Alrighty, it's time to have an honest conversation with what I believe is one of the funniest women around. She's a mother and she has written a book called Some Mums Are 
fat moles. I'm going to warn that there might be a little language in here, but if you've got sensitive ears, just be wary. Uh, hello, Nellie Thomas. It's gorgeous to see you. Oh, I can't believe you've segued from Professor Lewin to me <laughs> and a book called Some Mums of Fat Moles. I'm so ashamed of myself and my life choices. Didn't you hear her say, don't feel guilty oh, and just self. be yourself? In fact, I think oh, the two of you, you have the same message. Look, in a way that, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves. This woman's like saving lives and I'm going, it's fine to have pubes. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> it's going to save someone's life, Nellie. It will. It's going to save someone. What's the inspiration oh, what's behind the, inspiration? the name of the book? Oh, I just wanted to say hello to Wee Beck and Joe because I adore you both so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but the inspiration behind the name is that Fat Mole was actually the first heckle I ever got. So I started stand-up in 2002 and like most stand-up comedians, you're terrified of getting heckled. And the first time it happened to me was the Hi-Fi Bar uh, during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I walked out on stage and someone yelled out, you know, from the dark, as these brave people Mm, do, Yeah, Fat Mole! (laughs) Um, (laughs) And to be fair, you know, accurate but rude. (laughs) So I'm I'm reclaiming it, ladies. I'm reclaiming it. It's been rattling around in my head for nearly 20 years and I'm just going, yeah, I am a fat mole, bring it. And so, (laughs) you know, the book explores more than just you being a fat mole. Sure. It's, uh, you know what, it's, I mean, it's, it's not, it's a picture book. It's not like a memoir yep. um, of all the times that you've been heckled <laughs> in your life. <laughs> um, but it's, it is a joyous embracing of the fact that as mothers, um, we are all things and all kinds, and we don't yeah. have to fit into some version of a stereotype that you might see yeah. in an advertising campaign. Well, that's right. And I mean, I think for me, part of the inspiration for it was every year Mother's Day rolls around and I feel really kind of, I don't know, I feel torn about Mother's Day because I love the the respect and appreciation of mothers and the mothering role and the caring role so undervalued. But so much of what's directed at mothers around Mother's Day is really infantilising. And it's kind of a bigger message, I think, that's sent to women that once you have children, you lose yourself, you lose your individuation, you lose your adult identity. Like even the controversy, somewhat controversy around swearing in the book, it's like mothers are adults, (laughs) you know, like we're allowed to do swears. If you don't like swears, don't buy the book. You know, it's funny you bring that up, Nellie, because I, I love swearing. I think yeah, I, was, I know you do. <laughs> I consider it one of my great skills. Um, and yeah. I, I have other friends who are mothers who also swear, but then there's the mothers that don't swear. And I think, yeah. how did you, what, what happened that you lost <laughs> that when you, when you pushed a child out of your body? Because um, I didn't, that didn't happen to me. And I feel like I've, no. I've have I failed <laughs> Nelly? No, way, no, I you haven't. Failed? I mean, to me, it's the, and, and this is the point of the book for me, like it's supposed to be, cathartic in the sense of telling the truth all the women all the mothers I know swear Mm. now I know not all women and not all mothers swear but if you swore before you had kids you're allowed to swear after you've had kids we've had uh, ongoing conversations with uh, other parents around is it okay to swear in front of your kids right 
And um, I say, well, my daughter knows that wine is for adults and so yes. is the word fuck. So, you know, yes. she, I think that's she, she understands not to say it generally around totally. me anyway. I totally agree. And you, language has its place. Like don't go around grandma's house and say you're fat fucking mole, <laughs> you know, like, and if you're eight, maybe don't pop that out at, at prep. <laughs> but yeah, it's stupid. Like they understand rules, like don't touch the heater and don't drink mum's gin. Mm. So they can also understand. I mean, we moderate our swearing around the kids, but we certainly don't have a no swearing policy. Webeck's sworn at my children. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> at them or around them? <laughs> well, can we clarify? <laughs> I don't want to get you in too much trouble, um, but, you know, I've, I've certainly heard some coarse language coming from the way back around the little people. Nelly, I didn't realise I didn't realise we were getting you on so you could cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that to others. You know how much I adore you. But I do, um, you know, I also think this sounds a bit wanky, but I'm going to be honest. I'm from a, you know, country, WA, working class background originally, and this is how we talk. Like it's a little bit of me taking ownership of that. Like I exist mostly in different circles these days where that kind of honesty and that kind of language is much more sort of tempered and I'm kind of reclaiming it, you know, a la Professor Lewin. That's, you know, it's part it's part of my heritage. Oh, you are I totally relate to that. <laughs> no, I, I am. I come from the south yeah. side of Canberra. And when yeah. I moved to Melbourne, it was like people were speaking a whole different language. It was like yeah. people enunciate whole words here. Like, what are you even talking about? So, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I 100% relate to that. <laughs> You're no stranger to, to pumping out some very important and wonderful children's books. Uh, I'm just wondering what inspired keeping that format for the, the Some Mums ah. book? Yeah, interesting. Well, this has been part of the, when you said pumping out, I thought you were going to say mm. pumping out kids and I thought, geez, steady on. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I wanted to keep the format. But, well, there's a practical reason, which is that I think a lot of mums, quite frankly, haven't got the inclination or time to read another friggin' parenting book that tells us whether we should be breastfeeding, using dummies, doing Pilates, whatever the hell. Um, but also I just like the the simplicity of a picture book and just to reinforce those fundamental messages of like you are if you love your kids and you're trying hard which you know most people are it's okay it is just okay the amount of mixed messages even before you're talking to professor lewin you know that pressure of you're not working enough you're working too much every person who's caring for children will understand that message you know, so trying to just reiterate that through a really simple format. Um, it's interesting, though, because the publishers were a bit nervous, as you can imagine. You know, it's like children's author doing a sweary book. But I'm like, oh, mate, I turned 47 this year. I'm doing whatever I want. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I'm oh. done. I'm done trying to please people. Just like, again, take it or leave it. If it's not your thing, don't buy it. Uh, look, I hear you. It is such a glorious age, Nelly. I'm 48. Yeah. I turned 49 this year. And you oh. do just stop giving a shit. It's so oh. enjoyable. It's just so I don't so care free. about anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't give zero fucks. 
honestly, at this yeah. point. <laughs> About those kinds of things, I care about what matters. Mm, exactly. You know, I care about having a voice. I care about safety and security and justice and all those important mm. things. I don't care about whether or not you like the haircut. Yeah, you know? I agree. If, you know, as long as we're kind to people, isn't that all that matters? I'm going to quote from your book, um, and yeah. uh, it is some mums each, but I reckon you could put in here some chicks as well because it's relevant to all women whether you've actually cared for a child or not not some mums remove all their wrinkles some mums embrace embrace bumps and dimples some mums have a hairy snatch other mums prefer to wax all mums can look however the fuck they want (laughs) which i just said all all chicks can look however we wish to look Oh, my gosh, it's glorious to see it in print. Why is it so rare for us to feel this way? Well, why is it so rare to even consider the idea of an adult woman having an adult body? You know, like <laughs> I honestly don't care if you wax your snatch or not. If you want to go bald beef, like, like knock yourself out. It's, I have no problem with it. But why do we find it so um, confronting to think that some women make a different choice and just go, I'm happy with some 70s bush? right? It was never meant to be seen. Okay. Like I like, I like a little bit of coverage. What is weird about that? I mean, I'm asking you to, I'm actually, well, because we've been brainwashed by what generally has been created from a male gaze, isn't it? I mean, although, although I do, I don't know, I feel like I'm sharing way too much here, but I do find myself at the waxing salon fairly regularly. So, um, Good for know. you. Have I been? I remember watched? some. <laughs> it started for me when I was like twelve. I remember some other yes. some other girls in my class coming at me about the fact that I didn't shave my legs, yes. and like I was twelve years old, and they were not that it matters, but they were very fine, fair leg hairs that yes. you could barely even see, which is totally <laughs> irrelevant. But twelve years old, I had them yeah. telling me that it was gross. And then yeah. I'm a girl and I need to get rid of them. And I started yeah. and then I stopped and that was liberating. <laughs> yes. Do you remember the first time you did shave your leg? Because no one would tell. We had that kind of family like don't ask, don't tell. Like let's just pretend no one goes through puberty and nothing, sex doesn't happen, right? So I had no information. So I tried to dry shave Ooh. my leg. Oh. Tarantino. Uh. Like it was a bloodbath. <laughs> Oh, um, that's I, terrible. And you two know this. I've got a 13-year-old. That pressure's still there. Mm. How was, How did that happen to oh, little Kirsty? And it's still there. Like in this era of so-called choice, you know, everything's okay, like make your own decision, blah, blah, blah. How do we still have this much cultural pressure around something like that? And why don't we have it for dudes? Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I hope the 13-year-old boys are telling each other not to use Lynx Africa. and can you imagine a scenario where a 13 year old girl says if you don't shave your balls i'm not interested you know or or 25 or 35 i've never heard that i mean i haven't been in the dating game for a long time but i've never heard that and yet why do we have Mm. the reverse these poor mums, you're trying to learn to breastfeed, you're up all night, you're bloody caring for kids, the kids have got special needs. And the thing we focus on is have you got a landing strip or full mm. bush? <laughs> what? 
It's absurd. So I'm just trying to go in the book. Whatever you've got, it's okay. I love it. I love, love it, Nelly. And I really just think embrace that notion of like, oh, look, I've done my best yeah. and this is all it is today. That's right. and, and that's enough. You are enough. Let it go. Let that pressure go. Because all the people telling you that you're not doing it good enough, you know, like you're too feminist, you're not feminist enough, you work too much, you're not working enough, you you're too much, you're not enough. Like what are they doing? Maybe look in your own backyard and leave me alone. That's right. Well, you must uh, help Nellie Thomas out because you are publishing this yourself and you're raising yes. on Possible. Um, we've got the yep. details there. Go to possible uh, forward slash profile Nellie-Thomas and contribute to this book because I think it's a really important piece, actually, Nellie. Oh. Look, I think it'll be studied for years. And, um, yeah, if you, if you pre-order it now, you can get it from Mother's Day. And can I say, hand on heart, I, I love yous too. And I think this whole concept of broad radio is fantastic and I'm so pleased that you're doing it and you're part of the good fight. Good on you. No, oh, thanks, Nelly, and we'll have you back any time. Now, thanks, we, are, we have been gas bagging for too long, Kirsty, so we're going to wrap the show here <laughs> with Nelly. And as I wrap the show, I've got to give your show a, pl- a plug for the Comedy Festival, Kirsty. Um, it's called Chuck a Sicky. It yeah. sure is. <laughs> it's not about COVID. People have started asking me that, and I'm like, oh, it's not about COVID. It's got nothing to do with that. It's just a, it's a funny phrase. So nothing about COVID. It's very funny. It's on from April 6th to 18th at Comedy Republic in the city at 6.10pm. Mm, I will see you all there. Yeah, Nelly, you'd agree that uh, Kirsty is a great joy to go and watch. I will be probably going to two or three shows in the Comedy Festival because I just can't get to that many. And Kirsty's is, I'm quite literally telling you the truth, the top of that list. She's the best. Like you're the, the best. There you go. Ladies, it's been <laughs> awesome to share Broad Radio with you today. We will be right here next week uh, at 9am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. And, you know, can I just say I haven't had the opportunity, Joe, at any point to call you a skinny bitch because it's not all fat moles, you know. <laughs> like, you can't win. Like, if you get on the, on the more robust side, you're a fat mole. But if you're too skinny, you're a skinny, you know. This is why we let it yeah. all go. But thank you, Skinny Bitch. I'm, yeah. I really appreciate having me. It's my absolute joy. I have been called Skinny Bitch all my life. Yeah, you have. <laughs> what am I going to do about it? Also, I get lots of conversation around the length of my face. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> that's for another time. It's um, perfect. <laughs> Ladies, thank you so much. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, do like and subscribe. If you're watching on Facebook, chuck us a like. You can always go to broadradio.com.au and subscribe there as well so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget, we are now on podcast as well. We're called Broad Radio On The Go and you can listen to us via podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much, uh, Nelly and Kirsty. You're the best. Let's uh, go and have a drink sometime soon. Ciao. Thanks. Awesome. See you later. We'll see you later. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 